Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. I am so glad that you are joining in with us again today. I hope that you've also had a chance to listen to past episodes that are uploaded each Wednesday. Also, outside of podcasting, I am an author, freelance writer, and collaborative book coordinator. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can go to my website at www.kimlanglingauthor.com. Now, I hope that you've got your coffee or your favorite beverage and you're ready to sit back, relax, and listen in to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. So glad that you are joining me today. Today, I have the beautiful Sandy Johnston. She is joining us from Australia. She is the owner and founder of Rise Up with Sandy Johnston. She's an abundant life coach, consultant, and intuitive energetic healer. She is a survivor of an abusive relationship and has turned her tears into her triumph. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today on Let Fear Bounce. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kim. I am just so happy to be here and to be talking to you on your lovely podcast. Now, I've been looking forward to this because we've had this on the plan, on the books for a while, and we keep getting sidetracked, so we're finally finally doing it. (laughs) Talk about shiny object syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, you know, like a dog, it's like, oh, squirrel, squirrel. (laughs) Well, folks, that's how Sandy and I are. We get distracted quite easily. Our brains, our brains are going 10, you know, 100 miles an hour with 10 different things going on at once. But, but I think we're we're finally able to finally able to get our chat in here on Let Fear Bounce. And I'm really looking forward to you sharing some of your journey with us. Um, And I just, I just shared a very short piece of your bio um, as you're in a, sur- a survivor of an abusive relationship and you turned your tears into triumph. Can you share some of that journey with us? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I've got a smile on my face now, but I can tell you that there were years where, um, yeah, I was just overcome with unhappiness because of the a cycle of abuse that I had become ensnared in. And um, I guess it was, you know, something that took me by surprise, as it does many people, I think. And you wonder, how the heck did I get here? And I'll just give you a very, you know, quick rundown on just some of the timeline of the history of things that happened to me. I I married when I was um, 24 and I had a child in that relationship. Now, that relationship I don't know that I identify it as being, a, you know, typically abusive relationship, although there were a lot of narcissistic elements happening in that relationship. I felt like I was walking on eggshells in that relationship. And um, that is typical of narcissistic behavior. It was as if my then husband um, had two very different sides to him. Uh, On, you know, one hand, he was very uh, entertaining, very loving and 
um, very generous. And then on the other hand, he was very angry, very volatile, um, and very, very stressed out. And these sorts of, you know, this sort of volatile behaviour was, you know, triggered by, by things that were happening in our life. He had uh, gone into some litigation with somebody where he was suing somebody and this path uh, that he had taken of litigation was very, very stressful. And, um, and so he was not able to deal well with his stress and so he lashed out at the at the people that he loved and you know the, the person that he was closest to obviously at that time was me because I was his wife after some time I really started it impacted on my mental health and I didn't understand what was happening to me it I started to have anxiety attacks and um, I didn't understand what an anxiety attack was at that time, but it literally, it would come over me with no warning at all. And I would, in those moments that I was having that anxiety attack, I would feel as though I was literally dying. I could not find my breath. My heart was racing a million miles an hour. And I thought, I'm going to have a heart attack. Something's happening. I'm dying. And I later found out that what I was experiencing was anxiety attacks or panic attacks. And this, these anxiety attacks that I was experiencing were, came about because of the compounded stress that I was under and how that was impacting on my nervous system. And my nervous system got to absolute overload point. And once it got to overload, my body physiologically started responding in these anxiety attacks. So I projected 10 years down the track at that time. We, we, you know, we had a child together, as I said, we absolutely adore her and she's the apple of our eye. And so a lot of people will stay in dysfunctional relationships or abusive relationships because of their children, because they think that they owe it to their children to try and resolve the things that are wrong in their relationship to give their children that normality of having a two-parent um, family structure. And, and I, I went down that path and I sacrificed my own happiness, my own sanity at that time um, because I felt that it was my obligation towards my child to do that. But in the meantime, you know, my child was left with a mother that was falling apart at the seams, who was, you know, overwhelmed with absolute unhappiness and was not coping mentally at all. And I projected 10 years into the future, as I said, and I thought, is this the life I want to be living in 10 years time? Where will I be in 10 years time if I stay in this relationship and if I stay on this path? And I thought, I'm not going to make it. I just can't do that. And so I went through a, a fairly um, complex uh, divorce settlement with my 
then husband and um, that again for anyone who has been through a breakup in a long-term relationship uh, will know the stress you know people can work through things amicably when they um, when they separate and they go their separate ways but that wasn't my experience we did try and work through things with a mediator but because there were complex sort of um, financial things happening within that relationship it was quite a protracted and exhausting and stressful experience now in the meantime while I was going through that period of separation and finalizing all of the things that go into a divorce with property settlement and custody um, working out what we were doing with the custody of our child and the shared parenting of our child um, as I went through that time I actually started exploring looking for another partner and um, talk about jumping from the from the frying pan into the fire it's exactly what I did and in retrospect when I look back now I can see exactly why I did that because I had not engaged with my own healing before I started looking for a new relationship. At the time, you know, I was broken, my heart was broken, and I yearned to find the love that I was searching for in my life. Instead of working on my own healing, I looked for that in another person. And so I attracted somebody who on the surface looked to me to be absolutely charming and he said all the things that I'd been dying to hear a man say to me. Um, and because of his charisma and his charm, I fell for him hook, line and sinker. I was just, you know, like just swept up in, um, in what he was offering me or what I thought he was offering me. But there were um, red flags right from the beginning of that relationship. And I ignored those red flags because I didn't see the harm in them at the time. And this happens for a lot of people when they go into new relationships is they, um, they wear rose-coloured glasses. You basically look through these rose-coloured glasses and you see the person, you see all the wonderful, amazing things in this person. And these rose-coloured glasses don't allow you to see the things, the flaws in the person. Right, and we just right. sort of, yeah, we just sort of, you know, skim over the surface of those flaws and think that's no big deal, nothing to really be worried about. It's very easy to, and I've seen it happen over and over again with people that I know very well and people that I don't know very well, but I, it's, it seems, and I've been in the same situation, it's very easy to make excuses for those people during that time when you've got your rose colored glasses on and if you've got folks that are close to you and they're questioning saying well uh you know well, what do you think about that is that you know 
Is that the behavior that you, you know, why, why is he doing that? And why did he say it that way? And you find yourself making excuses for him. Is, did you find yourself doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, um, my best friend, you know, she said to me, she's very good at reading people. And, you know, she met him and she said, you be careful with this one. Are you sure? Are you sure? Mm -hmm. um, because she saw that he was a player right from the get-go. She saw right through him and, and I didn't. And so I said, no, it's fine. It's fine, you know. And it really wasn't fine. You know, the things that he was doing in the beginning were not what you would call normal. You know? <laughs> and I'll... I'll give you just an example of that because my my ex was a stalker, okay? And this is my abusive ex that I'm just, you know, now introducing into, you know, my my story is when we started dating, I was actually um I had I was seeing somebody and it, and it was a very nice, open, honest, but very casual, you know, relationship that I had with this person. And so I, I said, look, I, I have been seeing someone, I, you know, I need to let them know that I've met you and we're not going to be able to, you know, see each other any longer. And so I set up a time to talk to this person and we went for a walk and as we were going on on this walk I you know I I just sensed I felt like I was being watched and um, I kept looking over my shoulder and then you know we passed the street and I looked down the street and I just I couldn't shake this feeling that I was being watched and and then later that night after this walk had finished and the person had left and um, I spoke to my now ex, the abusive ex, and I said to him, I told him that, you know, what had happened. And I said, I had this really weird feeling like I was being watched while, you know, we were on this walk. And he said, really? And he was really proud of me for picking up on that he thought that I was really clever and he admitted that he had been watching us while we were walking and I thought oh it's not really normal <laughs> it's not yeah, yeah. really the that's thing a, that it's a little red flag <laughs> it is a bit yeah. of a red flag but I just mistook this and I think that, you know there are other people who mistakes things like this too as being wow he's really keen on me you know like he's definitely interested he definitely you know wants me to be in a relationship with him instead of saying as it's really unhealthy for people to be doing that like you know you have your right to your privacy and to be interacting with the people that you choose to interact with so my naivety and um, I really do put a big part of it down to my naivety in the way that I looked at the world and I was a very, very trusting person. So I didn't see that there really were people in the world 
who would use other people or abuse them. It just wasn't on my radar at all. And so it slipped past me and I vested myself in this relationship. And as time went by, there were a lot of things that were happening in the relationship which were not healthy and not good, but I persisted. So I would say that the relationship was never stable from the get-go. I never felt safe and secure in that relationship. It was always like I was either like rescuing myself or rescuing the relationship or rescuing him in the relationship. And um, and I think, you know, it was my heart that was saying that was my job was to try and fix anything that might need fixing in that relationship. So um, I ended up, there was, I ended up having three children in that relationship. When we had our first child together, I discovered that he had, uh, sorry, that he, I was, it's it, a drug addiction. I was going to say substance addiction, but I'll just be very plain speaking and say he had a drug addiction. I knew when we had met that he used drugs recreationally, but I had no idea that he was using drugs regularly. And when we had our first child, I discovered that he, and it was an amphetamine that he was addicted to. And this drug addiction was the underpinning problem with the relationship. And with that came I think when people have substance addictions and they, they they use and abuse people because it's all a means to an end to keep fueling their addiction. And it took me years and years to understand that he was not well, that it was a disease. I, you know, I found it very hard to be compassionate towards him because I thought, right, you know, you've got a family that you say you love, that you say is important to you. If that's true, then um, when you promise that you're going to stop taking drugs, that that promise should actually mean something and you should be able to fulfill that promise. But it's not that simple. And, you know, I've had to learn to forgive him for that path that he went down. I've had to learn to forgive him for the things that he did to myself and to the children. And, you know, I won't go into specifics about all the things that we went through, but I will say that there was that there was a lot of psychological abuse. There was a lot of gaslighting. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of financial abuse. There was some sexual abuse. There was, um, he had a porn addiction and because of the drugs, the drugs fueled his, his sexual behavior with me. So things didn't get really physical in terms of him, um, punching me or anything like that but he would 
hold his hands around my throat and he would hold me down or hold me back from moving away if we were in an argument. And um, there were things that, you know, I was just, he was always jealous, this huge jealous streak in him. And it took me a long time to realise with this jealous streak that he had, that the reason why he was always accusing me of um, doing, you know, improper things with other people is because that's what he himself was doing in the relationship. Yeah, and I found so, I found that common, you know, with um, yeah. men that that are jealous or they act like they're jealous and paranoid or they are constantly giving you very expensive gifts because they're trying to cover their own guilt. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that's how everybody is. I'm just saying I personally have experienced experienced that. Yeah, that's right, and that's been my experience too. And I know. You know, I could say that, you know, I can say quite confidently that he was a liar and because he would make admissions to me about lies that he would make to other people. So he would always say, if you are, if somebody's trying to catch you out in something, deny, deny, deny. And that was his tactic. And he was so proficient at lying that he believed in his own BS. So um, it was a very scary path to walk down with somebody who was just so incredibly duplicit. Um, You know, I'm a very honest person. I, um, you know, I believe in honesty and integrity. And this is the thing as, as, you know, the years passed, you know, it was just absolutely blatantly clear to me that we had very different values. So, in that relationship, just to bring it to conclusion, it, things I didn't think things would ever get life-threatening for me and the children. And so you'll hear with the cycle of abuse that um, it takes women up to 12 times to, on average, to be able to exit an abusive relationship. You know, you'll often hear people saying, why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she just leave? And I I use this analogy about the cycle of abuse. And I don't know if you're familiar or not, but there's this massive roundabout in, in Paris around the Arc de Triomphe. And it's got multiple lanes in this roundabout. And people are absolutely petrified of getting onto this roundabout because once you get onto this roundabout, it is so hard to get off it, to find a break in the traffic, to be able to exit. And that's what I, you know, make this analogy about a cycle of abuse being very, very similar to that because you you can get onto the roundabout, you, you know, find your way into it. But once you're into it, it is so hard to get out of it. And there's lots of different reasons for this. It's very, very complex and each situation is different. But there's a lot of shame associated, a lot of fear associated that uh, drives this, you know, cycle to continue. 
And I was caught in that cycle and I didn't see how I was going to be able to find an exit. And so I stayed in this cycle. I, uh, you know, I'd left the relationship. I had pushed him out many, many times. He kept wearing me down, wearing me down and pushing his foot back in the door again. So please be compassionate to women who have been in a, an abusive relationship who, or, or who are in an abusive relationship because you don't know how complex their situation is and you don't know how difficult it is for these women to leave. These women need support. And a big part of the reason that they stay caught in the cycle is because they can't tap into the appropriate supports. And a big part of the reason they can't tap into the appropriate supports is because those they're scared because they know that once they're connected to a support that can help them, it can escalate their situation. So you're talking about a person who's already living in fear on a daily basis of the things that their partner might do to them, to then go off and engage the police and seek the help from the police. Well, the police normally don't have an opportunity to go and lock a person up and throw away the key when something they do something bad to their partner. You know, often it takes a lot of time for justice to catch up with perpetrators. And that was my experience. And it was harrowing. Once I involved the police, things did escalate and things actually did get life-threatening for me. Um, and my children. And when push came to shove, because I, up until that time, Kim, I had this idea in my head, which, you know, when you're looking at it logically, you'll think, yeah, I can understand that. And my idea was that he was the one with the problem. So he was the one who should leave us and let us get on with our life. He should leave me to look after the children and to give the children security. He was unable to do that. So he should be the one to step away. So that was the logic in my head. And I thought that's the way it should be. But I never was able to receive that because he was not prepared to give that to me. And so after things became life-threatening, you know, the penny dropped with me that it was actually me and the children who had to be uprooted in order to have a chance at breaking free and have a chance at staying safe and hopefully being able to rebuild our lives. And so law, the law did catch up with him and he was remanded um, until he his hearing came up. So it was a, about a three-week window. And in that three-week window, I garage sailed or yard sailed as you would say uh, you know as many of my belongings as I could to raise enough money because as I said I lost everything I was there was a lot of financial abuse I lost my house I lost my car I ended up on welfare and um, I was living you know hand to mouth week to week just scraping by just at covering the rent just covering the utilities just getting enough to get the food on the table. So I needed to be able to raise some money to be 
able to do a relocation. And that's another thing that keeps women stuck in the cycle is they're living hand to mouth and they don't have enough money even to have enough money to have the first month's rent and the bond and the removalist's costs to be able to transition out of that dangerous situation they're in into a safe place which will afford them safety and hopefully a new beginning. So I, in that three-week window, raised enough money for the rent, for the bond, for the removalist, found a place six six hours drive away from where we were living because I knew that I needed to get somewhere far away. I needed to stay in the same state that we were living in because the intervention order or the restraining order that I had on him only covered me and the children in that particular state that we were living in. If we went interstate, we would have had no legal covering um, to protect us from him uh, with the law. So we stayed in the state and I left my family, I left my friends, I left my workplace because I was working part-time at, at that time. I left, the kids had to leave their school and we hightailed it out of there and, um, and started off in a new place with a new identity. So Sandy Johnston is the name I am known by now, but that was not my name when I was that during that time that I was in an abusive relationship. So you'll often hear that people have a need to recreate themselves at different points in their life because of different circumstances that they go through. Well, I had a literal need to, you know, recreate myself with a new identity. And at the time, I was absolutely shattered and didn't know how I would start rebuilding myself with this new name in a new town with nobody that I knew, with no family support, with no friends supporting me. And um, it was, I was suffering from PTSD and trauma um, to such a high degree during that first year, you know, waiting on my ex to, you know, serve his sentence in jail and wondering and worrying the whole time about what would happen when he came out of jail. Would he be filled with rage and revenge and want to come after me and the children again? So I didn't have any peace in my life. And all throughout that time, I prayed that I would find peace again. And Kim, I think you know, but the listeners won't know that I'm a person of faith. I was brought up um, as a Christian and I have had my fair share of um, ins and outs with my faith because of different challenges that I've experienced in my life. And, but I've always been a very like deeply spiritual person. I've never, ever um, turned my back on there being a force that is larger than ourselves and our physicality. 
so my faith, you know, my faith is, you know, something that really helped me through that time. And I tapped into every possible resource I could. So I went to church and I connected with people of faith and I looked for support there. I went to charitable institutions and looked for support. I basically learned to humble myself and get past this belief that I had which had kept me trapped in this place of shame, which told me that I should have everything figured out. I'm an adult. I should have this all figured out. I should be able to stand up on my own two feet. I humbled myself for myself to, yeah, but I humbled myself for my children too. And I needed to let them know that it was okay. There was no loss in dignity. It was okay to seek help. There were times in our lives where we will need to seek help and support from others. And I wanted them to see that it was okay to be doing that. And it was far better to be doing that than trying to manage an unmanageable situation on my own. So I can say that my ability to be able to get onto a recovery path really stemmed from my willingness to say, I need some support here. I need to get help with what I need to do to heal my life. And so I, I was tapped into, you know, financial counsellors. I was tapped into... Um, in with a clinical psychologist and I was receiving help to work through my PTSD and all that I'd been through and we've just had so much support along the way I've you know the children the school we had to do two relocations and the schools that the children went to they're in the Catholic schooling system and both schools said we're waiving the school fees the first school that you know we turned up at was so kind because they knew the trauma and what we'd been through that they gave the kids school uniform and all the stationary supplies and everything that they needed to get started with school again and so that the kids have been a really big um, you know, driver for me. They've always been the ones that have given me the strength to stand back up and keep fighting because there have been times where, you know, I've been so low that, you know, I had questioned, you know, whether I wanted to continue on with living this life because I was so broken and I just could not still, you know, go forward with the, the pain that I was experiencing. Because another thing about me is that the pain was not just mental pain. It was had actually manifested in my body and I was in chronic pain, um, you know, day in, day out with little reprieve. And anybody who's experienced chronic pain will know how um, hard it is to function properly when you're in chronic pain. So um, 
there was lots of support that I needed to get through. And um, I'm so glad that I did humble myself to ask for help and support because it's been a huge source of strength for me. And that's something that I really encourage other women to do is to seek help and support. And I know it's really hard for different reasons. One, the shame there that you think, you know, the, what's wrong with me? I'm, you know, is am I that flawed as an individual that I am in this position where I need to be asking for help? And I came from, yeah, I didn't come from a privileged, you know, sort of upbringing, but I came from a very stable upbringing. And what I was going through was just completely foreign to me. And I just, it took a lot to be able to process this and actually um, accept it and acknowledge that this was my life. But when I started to take responsibility for all those things that were happening in my life and not focusing on what I thought needed to be changed in my abusive partner. But once I changed the focus to what was in my control, and I'll just share with you a prayer that because, as I said, my ex had a substance abuse, you know, issue, I actually went into Narcanon, I think it's called, no, I beg your pardon, Al-Anon, which is, you know, part of NA or AA, and it's a support group for families. And in that group, I learned the serenity prayer, which is God grant me the, the courage to change the things I can. Um, the oh, I might be getting this wrong now, Kim. I, I thought I'd <laughs> memorized it, you know, like I had this down pat, but it's um, essentially, so yeah, don't quote me on the serenity prayer, but look it up if you um, are interested. But essentially it is about you focusing on the things that you can change and letting go of the things that you can't. Because when we put all of our energy into the things that we can't change, what we do is we disempower ourselves even more. So we've got, you know, we've already got this person who's lording over our lives, controlling and manipulating us with abusive behaviour. And then there's us and the other, you know, side who is, you know, focusing on all the things that we are not within our power and it's depleting us even further. So I really had to learn that I needed to be able to step back into my own power by <laughs> putting my energy into the things that were in my control, putting my energy into the things that I could change. So and at the beginning, when when I started off, Kim, I you know those steps were very small and incremental. And at the beginning, I didn't think I'd ever progress to where I am today. No way. I'm like a completely different person, completely transformed. You know, going back five years. I couldn't have had a conversation with you, Kim, because I couldn't hold conversations. I was just 
like a turtle in a shell and you know turtles have this hard shell that they have around themselves and it's it's a wall of protection for them and that was me I was like a turtle and anytime you know I just I hardly put my head out of my shell because I was too scared I was too scared of everything in life because of what I've been through so it's taken me a long time to you know pop my head out and realize that I'm I'm safe again now but I had to go through a lot of practical steps with that and actually allow time to pass to see that my ex had backed off and he didn't for a little while we had to as I said we had to do a second relocation so a big part of my healing has been time and you will hear that old saying that time heals all wounds. Time is a necessary component of healing. Um, if people understand that healing is a process that you go through, instead of having, you know, we've all got this desire in us for, uh, you know, for things to be all right, at the very least, to just be all right. Um, but if we understand that, you know, we need to just go through the steps and take our time going through the steps, be patient with ourselves, be kind to ourselves. And as I've gone through these last few years, you know, I've had this epiphany <laughs> and I wish that I had had it years and years ago that the most important relationship that I can ever cultivate with anyone in my life is the relationship that I have with myself. So learning to love myself, learning to care for myself has been a massive, massive part of my healing and my transformation. That's something that's so difficult for so many for so many people, not, you know, not just women, but for people in general, I want to go back to where you were talking about how you, you, you know, you just had to take that one step at a time. Those, those steps, no matter how small need to be celebrated because you're still going in a forward motion. you you know, you've, you've made that decision. You know, you had to reinvent yourself and you made that decision. I'm taking this step not only for myself, but for my children, your children were your, you know, your driving force for a while, or probably still are, could be. But those, those steps, I think oftentimes people in those situations or, you know, in any situation, they forget that that, that small step is, you know, you, it's big. It's bigger than you think it is when you're coming from such a dark, dark place. I wish and I pray that more folks would be able to and to remember, celebrate those small steps, folks, because you're still moving forward. You're not letting yourself be stuck anymore. You know, so celebrate those small steps on that journey to starting to care about yourself and then one day love yourself again and realize that you do have worth and you are beautiful and you are uh, someone that's worthy of love you know, and that the behaviors of others that cause you harm, that is not, that is not how your life should be. And that's, that's not what's wanted for you. So take those small steps, keep on taking them. I love that, Kim. I really love that. And it just reminded me of another thing that is really 
crucial to, uh, you know, like bringing more power back into your life. And that's gratitude. And um, I remember, you know, how difficult it was for me to celebrate anything. And a big part of the reason why it was so hard for me to celebrate anything is because my abusive partner had basically sabotaged any um, any event that was a celebratory event. So if it was somebody's birthday or if it was Christmas or if it was, and there was, so there was all this fear that around celebrations for me. So rather than celebrate anything, I sort of just glossed over things, you know, like I wasn't fully present at those times. Of course, I always, you know, I made a fuss over my kids when it was their birthday but I was kind of like, let's just get through this. And because there's this fear of something, you know, sabotaging it or, you know, us being at risk, you know, was still in, embedded in me. And so that was something that I needed to heal. And a way in which I healed that because it's, you know, this whole fake it till you make it thing. I think you can do a lot of faking and if you, you go down that path of faking things until you make it, I think you can get there because, you know, our subconscious mind is very responsive to whatever we're telling it. So if our dominant message is that, yay, we're happy, we're great, it's all good, you know, we keep saying that because it is an important part of it but there's the feeling and the feeling you know connecting the heart with the mind is really important to empowering things so gratitude is something that really helped me to heal that ability to be able to celebrate again and again like you said it's being mindful of the little things so when I could remember to just be grateful that we had a roof over our heads that we, you know, thank you, God, I'm alive. You know, I've got breath. Um, you know, I can stand up on my own two feet and I can carry myself through this day. You know, thank you, God, for my children. Thank you, God, that they're in school and they're getting an education just thinking about just every little thing, you know, thank you, God, for, you know, this place in which I live that, you know, thank you that I'm able to get out of my door and go for a walk because for a long time I couldn't even get out the door and go for a walk because of the fear of being stalked and, you know, the, the risks to my safety. So in remembering to be grateful that, then retrained myself I you know I started believing in it again that I was able to celebrate things and that it was good to celebrate and you know and then I was able to include that whole embracing absolutely embracing everything that happened in my life and and celebrating it and I'm just so happy that you brought that up because it is it's so important. It's just so, so important. So thank you for that, Kim. You're welcome. And then with your journey, you know, and as with most journeys, and I'm, I'm one of those, you know, you go through something and I feel it in my heart that it might take a while, but you reach a point where you're thinking, you know, 
my story matters and it very well could help someone else. And, you know, you, you turn it into something, you start to use your voice and your heart to help others. And I know for myself, I've done that. And I know that you have done that as well. Uh, you have Rise Up with Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. It's a private Facebook Facebook group, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that, that group is really there as a safe space for women. Um, and it really aims to support them with the challenges that they're going through. But also, like, I offer a lot of, you know, tips in there um, on ways in which to basically remember your true worth and then start rising up to your highest value not just in your personal life but also in your professional life and the more that you learn to do this you know the better life becomes not just for yourself but for you know all aspects of your life it'll be you know it'll flow into your personal relationships and your professional relationships too and you might just find that you'll suddenly, you know, have more opportunities coming to you because your energy vibration is rising up. And as that vibration rises up, you are attracting more and more good things into your life. So I'm really a big believer on working energetically and, um, and that's, you know, I do believe that, you know, working energetically, physically is very important. There's, you know, we're mind, body and spirit. And so we do need to be, you know, keeping our mind active and alert. And I think one of the things about that is to be ready to explore and to be open to be a continual learner in life not thinking you know I think one of the things that held me back for a long time when I was caught in that cycle of abuse was having this misconception that I should have it all figured out nobody's got it all figured out you don't you know like it's great to learn skills like adaptability and resilience and like there's so many um, qualities that I have gained and characteristics I've gained from those hard times that I've lived through and they've also been able to give me a lot of empathy for other people but now I'm like well life what else is there that I need to learn and I know that I'll be learning until my dying day and I'm happy with that I'm so happy with that Oh, and I think we have to, I love learning. I, I love learning something new every day, whether it's something little or something big, you know, it's just, that's, yeah. that's, that's part of, to me, that's part of the joy of finding out, you know, you're on your journey, finding out who you are and, and, you know, if you found your purpose, you're traveling on that path with your purpose. And I know that, you know, part of your purpose is to, you know, use your voice to help others and use your platforms to help others. Now you also have a podcast called Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. When did you start your podcast? So the podcast started, um, the journey started in March 2020 and it was a really, it was, I think COVID did this for a lot of people and 
um, if you think, you know, what good has come of it. I think that people, it was a bit of a wake up call to people to make good use of themselves and their experiences. And for me, my wake up call, I felt like, you know, I was getting a bit of a boot up the bum from the universe saying, get up and do something to support women who are going through abuse or have been through abuse because I saw the rates of domestic abuse escalating when COVID started and people were going into lockdown. And so these, um, all the, the stresses that people were under because of these lockdowns and, you know, the volatility that was sort of maybe simmering underneath the surface was, you know, exploding. And, um, and so rates of domestic abuse were exploding along with it. And I thought, I really need to do something now. There's no, you know, no waiting, you know, six months. I have a book on the back burner, Kim, and, and that book was, I was going to get that book up and published. And then I thought, no, look, I need to get out there Audio was very important to me when I was caught in a cycle of abuse. I remember tuning into audiobooks and to um, healing, healing teachings, audio teachings. I don't know if you know Joyce Meyer, but I listened yeah. to a whole series of hers on emotional healing. And these things were, were my lifeline at that time. They literally were my lifeline. Or I listened to a Christian radio station. These things were my lifeline. They, they kept me going. You know, I was treading water, treading water, feeling like I was going under all the time. And they kept me going. They gave me strength. So I thought, right, that's it. I need to, not knowing anything about podcasting, not knowing I'm the least techiest person you'll ever meet, <laughs> least techiest person. And here I am thinking, yeah, podcast, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I did a podcasting course to help me. I, could not have done it without going through that learning process of learning all the things that I needed to do to get a podcast up and running. But I did, I created this podcast and I, it's just been amazing because I've spoken to people from all over the world. It has opened my world up. It has connected me with amazing individuals like yourself, Kim, and I am absolutely loving it. But, you know, the whole purpose of this is, to, again, to create a safe space for women to tune in and for women to tune in to hear other people talking about their experiences with abuse, but also to hear information on things that might help them in their situation to work through the challenges and to move forward, which is the big thing is to be able to move forward or find that gap in the roundabout and get out and start, you know, going down a different road. So, yeah, so that that was the whole inspiration for the podcast. And the reason I, I chose the title 
FDR is tears and triumphs. And, you know, my coaching work is all about rising up and helping people to rise up again. And, you know, for me, I'm very much about symbolism. I love symbolism. And what the tiara, you know, symbolises for me, it's not so much about that, you know, the whole um, picture of a princess, you know, who is waiting like a damsel in distress, waiting for her knight in shining armour to come along. That, uh-uh, that's not it, okay? This, this princess, it's about rising up to your highest value. So if you are in a, a place of power, you, you know, you're the head of the state and that's what it symbolises is just rising up to be the head of your state, be back in control of your life, to put that tiara on and say, I am valuable. And the tears, of course, come with both sadness and grief and they also come with happiness too so tears are a very big part of life you know tears can be very healing so that's where tears come in and triumph is obvious it's you know we can triumph over the challenges that we've been given in life and I think that seeing challenges as being like stepping stones to our next great adventure instead of seeing challenges as being the things that will do us in or will bring us under. You know, it's really about how we view things in life and as to how we will how we'll get through them, whether we will get through them or we won't get through them. Um, so yeah, so that's basically the the impetus for the the title, and um, and I, you know I just want it to be a source of inspiration to others to help them to give them the strength to keep going through tough times. It is a wonderful podcast, folks. So tune into that, and I will be uh, sharing all of her links. So you can get a hold of her or listen in, tune in, subscribe to her podcast in the show notes. So once you're done listening to this podcast and after you subscribed, you can go check out Sandy's podcast and subscribe to hers as well. And I I love the fact that how you mentioned audio, being able to listen to something is what kept you going. Whether it was, um, you know, Joyce Meyer, like you had mentioned, or Christian music, or other things that you had listened to, those were those little nudges that you needed to take that next step, whether it was a baby one or a big one. Um, you were able to take that step and you utilized you utilized what was there for you. And you're offering the same to others. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. So as we wrap this up today, Sandy, what is one thing that our listeners that you want to share or give to our listeners, give them one short tip that you want to give to our listeners that they can walk away with today. Mm -hmm. I think my tip would really be to go back and just re-emphasize that your challenges can be your stepping stones to your next great adventure. So when you come up against challenge, don't give up, don't give in. Just look at your challenge curiously and see how that might actually help you to move forward in your life to something better than you 
are experiencing right now. It is just another step along the path of life. I love that Ch challenge. Look at it as a stepping stone. Mm. I love that. Love that. Thank you, Sandy, so much for sharing uh, your journey and your time with us today. Just love listening to you and all of the the wisdom and those little those little nuggets of wisdom that you're sharing with folks. And if there's anyone out there that might be in a similar or the same situation, you're not alone. Please remember that you're not alone. It might feel like it. It very well probably does feel like it, but you're not alone and you can take those little steps and just seek support if you're able to um, safely seek support, someone that you trust that can help you take that first step on your road to recovery. Thanks again, Sandy, so much for being with me on Let Fear Bounce. Thanks, Kim. I've loved it. Have a great day. Take care. You too.